I want to ask you, how many of you, by show of hands, are having company this holiday season? Over to your home, having company over. All right. A lot of people having company over. Um, There's some work that has to happen, right? There's food that has to happen and parts of the house that haven't been cleaned all year that must now be cleaned. Um, How many of you are guests in someone else's home this season? Okay. And now, listen, I have some instructions for you as well. You had better pay attention to their baseboards. <laughs> Those babies have been cleaned, and you better notice, okay? Uh, no, so just to think about it, whether you are a host, you know that you have made preparations or that you will have to make preparations for the guests that you are expecting. If you're a guest, you should be aware that preparations have been made just for you, and that those preparations have been made for, with you in mind and for you, and that's a beautiful thing. But what would, what would happen if you received some unexpected company over the holidays? If, if, you know, as people start coming to the door, all of a sudden you get 5, 10, 15, 20 extra people that you didn't plan to feed that you didn't plan to put up for the night, uh, you'd probably panic a little bit. Today, we are going to talk about the story of the Incarnation, and part of that where they had some unexpected company. Uh, We have been in this series called Unexpected, and it's essentially just the story of the Incarnation, which we always talk about this time of year, but it's from the perspective only of Matthew. And so we've looked at uh, all sorts of different parts of that account, if you want to look at the podcast or find it on Vimeo or YouTube, that's fine. Uh, But today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, we're, we're no longer at the baby Jesus, the newborn Jesus. Uh, We're no longer there at the stable. Uh, We're no longer there. Some time has transpired. In fact, there's a poem I love uh, that G.K. Chesterton wrote He called it the house of Christmas. While you're turning to Matthew chapter 2, I'll read it. There fared a mother driven forth out of an inn to Rome. In the place where she was homeless, all men are at home. The crazy stable close at hand, with shaking timber and shifting sand, grew a stronger thing to abide and stand than the square stones of Rome. For men are homesick in their homes, and strangers under the sun, and they lay on their heads in a foreign land whenever the day is done. Here we have battle and blazing eyes and chance and honor and high surprise, but our homes are under miraculous skies where the Yule tale was begun. A child in a foul stable, where the beasts feed and foam, only where he was homeless are you and I at home. We have hands that fashion and heads that know, but our hearts we lost long ago. In a place no chart nor ship can show under the sky's dome. 
The world is wild as an old wives' tale, and strange the plain things are. The earth is enough, and the air is enough for our wonder and our war, but our rest is as far as the fire drake swings, and our peace is put in impossible things. Where clashed and thundered unthinkable wings round an incredible star. To an open house in the evening, home shall all men come. To an older place than Eden, and a taller town than Rome. To the end of the way of the wandering star, to the things that cannot be, and that are. To the place where God was homeless, and all men are at home. As we think about Chesterton's poem, his thought, the beautiful juxtaposition between the earthly and the eternal, the idea that it was in that stable so long ago where God gave up his heavenly home that you and I might find it, that you and I might have it, and that you and I might experience it. Chesterton is beautiful, but the words of Scripture are far better. There is someone uh, with a hearing device that is, I'm sure they cannot hear, but i also sure that everyone else can hear. Um, if you would be so kind, I mean to embarrass no one, but you, if, you're, if you're sitting in the, in the distance of that person, you might help them. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 is the scripture. And now we read of Matthew's account. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you, from Bethlehem, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the men wisely, and secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, and it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Isn't it amazing how deeply this one birth impacted the entire world? This one birth 
caused kings to be troubled. This one birth caused wise men to travel. This one birth changed so much. The preacher Spurgeon wrote these words, A stir begins as soon as Christ is born. He has not spoken a word. He has not wrought a miracle. He has not proclaimed a single doctrine. But when Jesus was born at the very first, while as yet you hear nothing but infant cries and can see nothing but infant weakness, but still his influence upon the world is manifest. When Jesus was born, there came wise men from the east, the scripture says, which reminds us, that there is infinite power, even in an infant Savior. Well, you've probably heard a lot about the Magi or the wise men, depending on which translation you have. Uh, But who were the mysterious Magi? Uh, We know that this account from Matthew 2 takes place after Jesus was born, because it says there right in the text, after Jesus was born. Now, how long after? We don't know. Um... You'll see nativity scenes sometimes, and they kind of got all of the uh, the people, the characters, in, in just one night there. That's really not the way that it happened. It wasn't angels and shepherds and wise men all crammed in in this stable. Uh, the wise men came sometime after. Uh, we know that because the scripture tells us they were in a house now, not a stable. Um, we know from Luke chapter 2 that they had some time to dedicate the baby Jesus, which of course took a, a matter of time for Mary to be at a place where she could enter the temple. And then of course Herod's order is that, uh, which will come later in Matthew, that all the boys two and under should be killed. So we, we know that some amount of time has passed, not more than two years, but it's been some time. So Jesus is a a babe, an infant, perhaps a toddler, we don't know. Who are these men? Well, uh, first we hear that they are from the east. Uh, How far east? Well, (laughs) the scripture doesn't tell us. We can take some historical knowledge and say, probably the kingdom of Persia. You say, that would be great if I knew where the kingdom of Persia was. Well, uh, modern day Iran is about where they think the wise men from the east might have been from. Um, They were likely, although not 100%, the first Gentiles to seek Jesus. Uh, The Magi were of ancient origins. They were uh, men who had been entrusted with the ancient knowledge. They knew things uh, that not everyone knew. Uh, They were a combination of scientist and theologian. In today's world, we think of those people as very, very different people. The Magi uh, did not. They believed that all truth was truth, whether it was God's truth or a truth that man had discovered. Uh, They thought about theology. Now, were they godly people? Probably not, uh, at least in in the sense that you and I might think of it. Uh, but they, they were familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures. They were familiar with the ancient texts uh, outside of Scripture. And they studied and they thought about these ancient truths. Uh, third, they were serious thinkers and studiers. Uh, as I said, they were the scientists of the day. You know what science means? The root word means to know. Uh, you probably had a kid in your class when you were growing up who always, who always knew. Right? You, didn't you just love that kid? 
He just he always knew, right? Well, they were the knowers. They were ones who not only knew the truth, but they sought it. They thought about theology and they applied the ancient truths and they studied the stars and the movements therein. Kings sought their counsel. Now, uh, when I think about the Magi, I usually only think of Matthew chapter 2, but did you know that, that Magi and wise men are actually found a couple of different places other than Matthew chapter 2? You say, I don't believe it for a second. Okay. Follow me to Genesis 41. Genesis 41. The story, the account of Joseph, that dreamer. <laughs> and as he's brought to Egypt, Pharaoh has a dream that troubles him greatly. And in Genesis chapter 41, verse 8, the scripture says, So in the morning his spirit was troubled, that's Pharaoh, and he sent and he called for, now note this, the magicians of all Egypt and all its wise men. Whether these were, these were not the exact same men, but they, were, they had the same purpose. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So they were men who understood things, and kings sought out their counsel. That's interesting to me. Now, if you go on to read, as, as uh, there come the ten plagues later in Genesis, some of the magi, some of the wise men, can reproduce some of the plagues, some of the, some of the uh, plagues that are happening, but they can't all of them. Uh, there's another example in Jan Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, the king Nebuchadnezzar has some dreams now. And Daniel chapter 2 verse 27, Daniel answered the king and he said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is, there is, Daniel says, a God in heaven who reveals mysteries... And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So, Matthew chapter 2 is not the first time we see magi and wise men. This was a cultural thing. And we see this, of course, in the culture of Egypt, in the culture of Babylon, and in the culture of Persia. So, they were, are unknown to us, but they were known quite well by the people of God. So that leads us to a natural question, why did they travel so far? Uh, they came from the east, the Magi, if they came from Persia or what we consider Iran today, if you just get out the Google map, you, you can see there's somewhere between 800 to 1,000 miles of distance covered for these men to come and see the Christ child. Um, that's 40 or 50 days by camel if you have a fast camel. How many of you have traveled over uh, the Christmas holiday or are traveling? Okay, I hope it's not by camel. And I hope it's not for 40 or 50 days. But there's only a reason that you travel such a great distance like that. It's not because it's a pleasurable trip. It's because it's for a great purpose. You've heard the song, I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more, uh, which is a really dumb song, but it kind of describes what the Magi did. Imagine traveling from Wichita to Winnipeg, Canada on camel 
or horseback. And when you got to Winnipeg, you'd say, I'm here, I'm from Wichita, I came all this way. And the Canadians would say, why'd you do a dumb thing like that, eh? You better have a good reason. And they did. And here's the answer why they traveled so far. Because there was an answer to an ancient prophecy. The Magi, the wise men, knew the ancient truths, though they weren't necessarily the Jewish people, but they, the, the Jews had gone into exile, so they were familiar with their texts, and no doubt they knew Numbers 24, 16, and 17. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. Who is this making this prophecy? Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah? No! This is an ancient pagan prophet by the name of Balaam that God is using to pronounce this prophecy. And what's the prophecy? Verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. You see, God is going to use the Gentiles in the pronouncement of his coming son. And this will happen 1,500 years before it comes to fruition. And you can be sure that the Magi knew of Balaam's final oracle. Or at least they knew that these words had been spoken in the ancient prophecy. So they traveled a great distance for a great reason. And here it is. To see the ancient of days, to behold the bright and morning star, to worship the king, all glorious above, who had now come down below, and to revere the living and breathing Son of God. Now they knew all these things, but there was one thing they didn't know, according to Matthew, and that's this. They didn't know precisely where he was born. They said, where is he to be born the king of the Jews? They've come to Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem. They've come to Jerusalem because they figured, well, this is the capital of Israel. So surely the people would know where he's to be born. And they assumed correctly. The answer was well known. A prophecy from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be counted among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel and whose coming is from of old, from ancient days. You see, the the wise men were not likely of God's people, or at least they weren't presently. Uh, They were not full keepers of God's laws and God's ways. The B-I-B-L-E was not the book for them. But... They were doing something very interesting, and that is, they were seeking God. Now think about this. There were religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees, who knew where the king was to be born. They, they almost answered universally. All the hands went up. We know, we know, we know, we know. It's Micah 5, it's Micah 5. As any good Bible student will tell you, he's to be born in Bethlehem. We know that. They knew where he was to be born, but they had no interest in in seeking him. And the Magi knew he was to be born, and they had every interest in seeking him. Reminds us what God said to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You see, a king had been born, and there was two very different reactions. Some hated him like Herod, and others were indifferent to him like the chief priests and the scribes. And maybe the third one is, there were those who were seeking him like the magi. I guess we could probably say there are still the same three categories of human beings today. A king has been born, and either you hate him like Herod, you're indifferent like the chief priests and the scribes, or you're seeking him with all your heart like the magi. Well, once they got the answer, how did the magi, how did the wise men respond? As I view it, they did Four things. One, they faithfully kept on seeking him. They kept following the star. They didn't give up. Despite Herod's threats, despite, they they were no dummies. (laughs) It says right there in the text, they were wise men. (laughs) They knew what Herod was up to. But they kept going in spite of Herod's threats. Two, they joyfully rejoiced upon finding him. Imagine how excited they were. They've been on this journey uh, for several months, maybe for the better part of a year. They've been seeking and they've been studying the ancient text. And they come to the people and they finally, the star that they've been seeking and following comes to a stop. And can you imagine how excited they were when they finally arrived? Three, they reverently worshipped him. The text says, going into the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They didn't worship Mary. They didn't offer their gifts to her. She was a big part of the process, but, but they, they knew she was not the one worthy of their reverence and their worship. No, they worshipped him, and they offered their treasures and their gifts to him. And that's the... The fourth thing that they did, which always comes out of a spirit of worship, is when you generously offer the gifts that you have, whatever it is. Now, this is where they get the idea that there were three wise men, because there's three gifts that are mentioned. Of course, the scripture doesn't say how many wise men there were. There could have been three, there could have been two, there could have been 33, or there could have been 300. The scripture just doesn't say. What it does is say is that they brought gold, which was the gift for royalty. They brought frankincense, which was the aroma of deity. It was used in incense for worship at the temple. But wait, there's myrrh. I knew, I knew Yakely would love that one. I knew. That's, that's his specialty right there. Myrrh was the aroma of mortality. The the scent of altar offerings and embalming of the dead. So you have the gift of royalty, the aroma of deity, and the aroma of mortality, all three in one. And for the very first time in all of history, the phrase would utter, these gifts will count as both your birthday and Christmas. Some of you will get that later. So you see how they responded when they meet Jesus. Well, that's all very interesting and good, so let's finish by asking these, this question. What can we learn from these wise men? 
Number one, I think it's important that we learn to walk as the wise. Magi were wise men who trusted the promises of God's word, understood the great worth of Jesus Christ, humbly worshipped the Son of God, and courageously obeyed God rather than men. I think we would do well to follow in their footsteps. These were truly wise men. Though we don't know their names, we certainly can follow their example. We would do well to walk as they did. And number two, we should seek him diligently. The journey was 800 to 1,000 miles, as we said. Uh, Likely months, maybe years of traveling. Jesus is worth the seeking. The Son is worth the seeking. And wise men still seek him. One more poem. I'm in a poetry mood this morning, I guess. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king, there came from the east to Jerusalem wise men with gifts to bring, saying, Where is he that is born, this precious king of the Jews? For his star appeared in the east to announce this glorious news. And lo, the star which they saw went before them on their way, till it came and stood over the place of this wondrous holy day. With exceeding great joy and praise, they entered into the place when they saw where the young child with Mary, Jesus face to face. They fell down and worshipped the Savior in complete humility and awe, bound down in pure amazement of all that they heard and saw. This king had no grand arrival. No trumpet announcement of his birth. No fancy attire to clothe him with the inheritance of his worth. And yet as they beheld this child, they began to see his fame. For he was clothed in mercy and truth by the power of his name. He wore a crown of glory and righteousness became his robe. His kingdom spanned the universe beyond the earthly globe. Yes, this child was royalty. They could sense it in their soul as they opened up their treasures, frankincense and gold. Laid before the king, they presented him with their best, rejoicing in the blessing to be his honored guests. Now wise men still seek his face as they did in days of old. To give the Lord their hearts more precious than silver and gold. For the king still lives today, and he invites men to his side to reign with him in glory as his beloved bride. You see, the wise men came to Bethlehem with the treasures of earth in their hands. My question for you today as we close is, will you leave with the treasure of heaven in your hearts? We can learn from the wise men because indeed, the wise men still seek him. The very best thing you could do this morning is to seek him just as they did. And now once you find Jesus the Christ, once you hear of him, once you learn of him, what is the response? Some preachers will tell you, well, just invite him into your heart. And others preachers will say, well, just pray this prayer with me. What does the scripture say? What did Jesus call men to do? To believe and to be baptized, obeying all that he had commanded the apostles to teach.
If you're ready to make that first step, we'd be honored to help you take it. If you're ready to do it this morning, we have elders at the back who are ready to receive you. If you have that need or any other public need of this congregation, our elders will wait you at the back and we'll be glad to help you and serve you in any way. Whatever need you might have, let's stand and sing and you can head to the back at this time.